Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Aaliyah Boomer was born on January 6, 1988, the youngest of four sisters, and was nicknamed Lily by friends and family. At the age of 27, Aaliyah was a nursing student living with her mother in the Nostrand Houses on Batchelder Street in the Sheepshead Bay area of Brooklyn, New York. On August 15, 2005, Aaliyah attended a barbecue at Prospect Park in Brooklyn, New York City with a friend. During the barbecue, Aaliyah and her friend had an argument, so they left. Afterward, they went to a friend's house at 444 Columbia Street in the Red Hook Housing Projects. Around 11 p.m., while still at the Red Hook Housing Projects, Aaliyah and her friend were invited to another barbecue. Aaliyah agreed to go, but her friend declined. After that, Aaliyah was never seen again and allegedly never arrived at the barbecue. Strangely, at 3 a.m., a call was made from her phone to her sister. However, her sister was asleep and didn't answer, and the caller didn't leave a message. When Aaliyah didn't arrive home, her mother wasn't initially concerned because she was known to stay out all night. But two days later, on Sunday, August 15, 2015, she was reported missing after failing to show up to a family member's birthday celebration. Six years later, in the fall of 2021, investigators received an interesting lead in the case. An anonymous letter showed up at her mother's home, postmarked from the Bronx. The letter claimed to be from someone who had an uncle who lived in apartment 2C on the first floor of the building Aaliyah vanished from in 2015. The uncle, now deceased, said that Aaliyah was hanging out on the third floor but left to go on a drug run and never came back. The letter mentions the word lick, which is slang for a drug run gone wrong. The letter also claims that everyone who lives in the building is aware of what happened. However, some speculate that the letter was just a ruse to throw off the investigation. As of 2023, Aaliyah has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Douglas Legg was born on August 11, 1962, and went by Dougie. In 1971, 8-year-old Dougie and his immediate and extended family were spending their summer vacation at the Santa Noni Estate near Newcomb, New York, located in the Adirondack Mountains. The estate was owned by Dougie's mother's family, who bought the estate in 1953. The property was very large, consisting of 40 buildings and 24 rooms in the main lodge, making it an ideal place for the entire family to spend their vacation. On Saturday afternoon, July 10, 1971, Dougie and his uncle decided to go on a hike around the property. 
During the hike at 3.30 p.m., his uncle noticed quite a bit of poison ivy on the trails and told Dougie to go home and change into some long pants. So Dougie reluctantly started the half-mile walk back to the lodge, passing his brother and cousin along the way. Dougie was last seen about 50 yards from the main lodge building. After that, he was never seen again. When evening rolled around and his family realized he was nowhere to be found, they called the police and reported him missing. That night, the state police, along with locals from the town, began a massive search, but by morning, there was still no sign of Dougie. Dogs, helicopters, and even planes with infrared were then brought in. At one point, as many as 1,000 volunteers were assisting in the search. However, the area was known for swamps, marshes, and bogs with dense forest, making the search even more difficult. Footprints were eventually discovered, but unfortunately, the rain had washed away a lot of Dougie's scent, making it nearly impossible for the dogs to track him. Seven days later, the family hired 20 elite mountain men from the California Sierra Madre Mountains to help search. But like everyone else, they found no sign of Dougie. Sadly, six weeks later, the police called off the search. Police concluded that Dougie most likely got lost trying to return to his uncle and perished. However, they've never ruled out the possibility of foul play. In 1993, a woman came forward and claimed that Dougie had been kidnapped and murdered by a relative of hers and his body was dumped into a lake in Lewis County. Investigators searched the dry lake bed but found nothing. Afterward, they learned that the woman was a psychiatric patient suffering from false memory syndrome. Around this time, a man came forward and reported that while hunting with a friend in 1973, he came across a small skull along with a partial skeleton. He had been chasing a deer across the peninsula that led to the island in Newcomb Lake when he found the remains. This location is about half a mile from the lodge. He said they didn't report it because he and his friend were on leave from the Navy for four days and were not supposed to be there. They finally came forward after hearing about the psychiatric patient's false story. He then took the investigators to the general area where he saw the remains, but nothing was found. The man appears credible, and it's believed the remains weren't found because so much time had passed. It also didn't help that he couldn't remember the exact spot. After the incident, the family, not wanting to return to the property, decided to sell the Santa Noni Preserve to the newly formed Adirondack Conservancy Committee of the Nature Conservancy, who then sold the property to the state of New York. The property was then left unmaintained for 20 years, but has since been restored and is now designated as a National Historic Landmark. As for Dougie, he has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Patricia Shea was born on June 20, 1938, in Brookline, Massachusetts, and went by Pat. Pat grew up in Rockaway Beach, New York, and was known for having a big heart and a caring nature. She was even known to take in stray cats and paid to have them spayed. At the age of 44, Pat lived in an apartment complex on Beach 107th Street in Shorefront Parkway in Rockaway Beach, Queens, New York. 
She was also employed at the building where she lived and had been a physician's assistant for Dr. Robert Baggiano for more than 15 years and worked as a volunteer ambulance squad. On July 25, 1982, Pat arrived home at about 10.30 p.m. after spending the weekend with a friend in upstate New York where she attended a high school class reunion. As soon as she arrived home, her neighbor, Agnes Riordan, who was bedridden and disabled due to dementia and a series of strokes, called and asked for help changing some bandages. Pat agreed and made her way to the adjacent building between 11 and 11.15 p.m. Her friend, who was heading to his own apartment around the same time, spotted Pat heading toward her neighbors. Sadly, she would never arrive back at her apartment. When Pat failed to show up for work the next day, her employer notified her family. At around 6 p.m., over 10 miles away, a jogger found her body in Brooklyn's Prospect Park, lying in some bushes about 10 feet from a bridle path at Center Drive, a road that cuts through the park. Pat had been strangled to death with a thin nylon cord. Her feet were bound and inside a garment bag, and a man's shirt was found lying next to her. She had basically been hogtied. Investigators found some indication that Pat had been in the trunk of a car before being dumped in the park. Investigators tracked Pat's movements back to her apartment and made a chilling discovery. Agnes, the elderly lady who asked for assistance, repeated to officers that the blonde man hurt Pat. She had clearly witnessed Pat's abduction, but due to her stroke, had trouble communicating. Since Agnes was bedridden, the only explanation is that the blonde man was in her apartment when Pat arrived. Could her call to Pat have actually been a plea for help? Did the man force Agnes to call as a way to lure Pat to the apartment? Or did Pat stumble upon a burglary in progress? Unfortunately, the NYPD was never able to get additional information from Agnes, who would shake and cry at the mere mention of the incident. There was speculation that Pat's murder may have been connected to four other local women who were also strangled to death around the same time. Locals began to fear that a serial killer was loose in the area. However, detectives could never find a link between the women, mainly because the other women were prostitutes, unlike Pat. Furthermore, Pat was found fully clothed and had no evidence of being sexually assaulted. Many believe that Pat interrupted a burglary in progress and that the garment bag was possibly going to be used during the burglary, but when he was interrupted, he strangled Pat and dumped her body in the park. Much of the evidence in the case has since been lost or destroyed in a flood, except for the nylon rope. Multiple attempts over the years have been made to try and recover DNA from it, but those attempts have been unsuccessful. Investigators even had a person of interest in the case at one point, but the Brooklyn DA's office never brought the person to a grand jury to have them indicted. In 2021, investigators would receive an interesting twist in the case after reporter Carrie Murtha of The Wave newspaper in Rockaway wrote an article about the mysterious murder. Three weeks after the article was published, the newspaper office received an anonymous letter naming the suspect. The letter used old computer paper and was addressed to Carrie. The letter said the killer was a police officer who was having an affair with Pat and lived in the area. 
he reportedly murdered her after she threatened to tell his wife about the affair. The detective went straight to the officer and his family and discovered that the officer's wife had since passed away, but found no facts to back up the claim. The cop, who is now retired, pointed to a family member as the likely culprit of the letter whom he claimed to have had a fallen out with. However, Carrie doesn't necessarily agree with the detective's conclusion and suspects the writer held on to the letter until the officer's wife was deceased before sending it. The officer also denied even knowing about the case, which is strange considering how publicized it was at the time. It's also interesting that Pat wasn't sexually assaulted, and this could fit the potential police officer theory. Plus, if the two were having an affair, he would likely have known when Pat was going to arrive home and that she regularly assisted Agnes. He could have easily gone to her apartment and forced her to call Pat. Sadly, these are only theories, and as of 2023, this case remains unsolved. Robert Mayer was born on February 17, 1967, and grew up in Old Bethpage, New York, and went by Rob. At the age of 46, Rob lived on Leroy Street in Dix Hills, New York, with his wife of 18 years, Ida Mayer, and their 15-year-old son and 11-year-old daughter. He was a certified electrician and a member of Local Union 3, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Ida said her husband was a homebody who enjoyed lounging around the house, watching TV, and playing video games with their children. She said he was a very loving man who would do anything for his friends and family. On Friday, June 14, 2013, Rob left home around 4.30 a.m., heading to his job site at a massive theater complex under construction in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. While there, he spoke to his wife over the phone around 9 a.m. to discuss their plans for a Father's Day barbecue on Sunday. He also had plans on Saturday to go see a band that his son played the guitar in. Rob was a drummer and always attended his son's shows and helped set up the equipment. They also talked briefly about an upcoming vacation to Italy they'd been planning. Around 2.15 p.m., Rob was captured by security cameras at Aero Scrapyard, a recycling center in West Babylon, New York, selling scrap metal from his job site for $300 in cash. 30 minutes later, his cell phone went dead or was shut off. That evening, his wife Ida filed a missing persons report with the Suffolk County Police Department when he failed to return home from work. Strangely, he apparently made it back home before going missing because his cell phone, wallet, ID card, and the $300 cash were later found by his wife in a drawer of their house. All of the items had been with Rob on the day of his disappearance. Also, on the day he went missing, a neighbor's security camera captured his car pulling into the driveway of the mayor home at 2.41 p.m., but the footage didn't show who was in the car. The car left about 10 minutes later before his family returned home around 3 p.m. On June 15, 2013, around 8.30 p.m., his 2004 red Pontiac GTO was found abandoned in the Long Island Railroad's Deer Park Station parking lot at a local train station. Without security cameras, there was no footage of Rob or his car entering the station. Rob hadn't used the train station for years, and in fact, he very much disliked it due to the frequent thefts there. 
At times, he would even drive to relatives' homes in Queens and catch the subway in order to avoid the train. The keys were not inside the car, and according to his wife, the seat was adjusted for someone much shorter than him. The trunk, where he typically kept his tools, lunchbox, and water bottles, was also found empty, and instead, his lunchbox and water bottles were in the front seat. Ida also realized that his green mountain bike and shotgun were missing. Rob's cell phone last pinged several miles northwest of the train station to a tower off the Northern State Parkway near Melville, New York, at 1.45 p.m. the day he disappeared. By 2.45 p.m., his cell phone went dead or was shut off. According to his family, Rob had been struggling with prescription drug use for an accident that happened in the late 1990s. His mother said he had fallen from a roof at Elmhurst Hospital, landed on a pipe, broke every one of his ribs, and was put on pain medication. It's theorized that he was selling scrap metal to pay for pain pills. On the other hand, Ida believes that work-related problems or debt could be the reason for his disappearance. However, as of October 2023, Rob has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Shanice Harris was born on February 2, 1986, to parents Thomas and Elvia Crump. At the age of 31, Shanice lived in Rock Hill, New York, and was described as a warm, loving goofball with a natural gift for making people laugh. She was a homebody who was especially close to her family, and her favorite saying was F-O-E, family over everything. On Memorial Day, May 29, 2017, Shanice left home at about 8.20 p.m. to visit a friend in the Rock Hill area. While there, she called and spoke with her girlfriend via FaceTime. She then allegedly left the friend's home with an unknown person. After that, she was never seen again. By 9.30 a.m. the next morning, Shanice was still not home. So her girlfriend called Shanice's sister, Tamika, but she hadn't heard from her either. Shanice's mother was flying to Florida, and she was known for calling Elvia after her flights, but that call never happened. Tamika immediately went to the Monticello police and reported Shanice missing, but was told to wait 24 hours. This was strange because the NYPD didn't have a waiting period, and when she went back to report her missing, she was asked why she didn't come in sooner. This is frustrating because it delayed the search for Shanice. Was this a misinformed person at the police department, or was something more sinister going on? Two days after she went missing, her dark gray four-door Volkswagen Jetta was discovered along Southwoods Drive in the town of Thompson, New York, less than five miles from where she was last seen. Multiple searches were executed in the area where her car was found, but there was no sign of Shanice. Unfortunately, this case has very few details, and as of October 2023, Shanice has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.